Um, if you would, uh, grab your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel according to John. We're going to be in verse, our chapter 14. Um, I am going to read 15 through 31, but we're going to focus in on 15 through 17. Um, I'll explain why here in a moment, but I want to read the, the whole section here, this uh, section that's really uh, focusing in, the emphasis here is on the Holy Spirit. I want to read this for us so we have the, the broader context of 15 through 17, and uh, will help us, I believe, um, to, to really grasp what is happening here. So John 14 Verses 15 through 31, uh, would you now hear the word of God? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The words that you hear and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Uh, this is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we come to you through our mediator, Jesus Christ. We ask that your spirit would work in and through the pages of this holy Bible, your scripture that has been given to us to, to learn, to grow, 
to see you more clearly. Father, we need your help. God, we ask that you would work in this room, in this space, in this present time for us to understand more clearly who the Holy Spirit is. We have a a monumental task ahead of us as we seek to understand your spirit. But we trust that you will make things clear to us. You will illuminate this text in ways that are far beyond our capabilities. So we ask what we know not you would teach us and what we are not you would make us and what we have not you would give us by your grace for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So I decided to shorten the section of our study this morning for a few reasons and really just look here at these first few verses in this powerful portion of Scripture and make this really a two-part message. So uh, today will be part one, uh, Lord willing. Next Sunday, we will have part two of this message. Uh, One of the main reasons that I decided to do this was because there are many strange, erroneous teachings on the Holy Spirit today. There's a lot of wonky stuff out there about what the Holy Spirit does who the Holy Spirit is, and how to kind of invoke the Spirit in our lives. There are many who teach that we can kind of conjure up an environment uh, to experience the Spirit in a special or mystical way uh, if we would kind of just sing the right music, uh, if we would just create the right environment, atmosphere, Uh, The right light and uh, darkness kind of combo uh, would really make the spirit come alive. Uh, There are some that teach that if we do some type of breathing routine, uh, we just do some type of exercise within us that uh, we can really conjure the Holy Spirit in a way where we will experience some type of euphoric mood or feeling. Uh, Some propose that it's even our, our bodily posture, the way that we, we stand or the way that we, we move that really brings the Spirit to us. I've met, heard many describe uh, certain settings or places where the Spirit was just moving. Uh, the Spirit was there. We could feel the presence of God. And listen, if that's you... I do not mean to shame you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I have a personal confession. That was me 10 years ago. I I believe that there was some type of environment that really created an environment where the Spirit would be present more than others. And listen, that is unbiblical language. That is contrary to what the scripture teaches. Uh, And I want to be charitable. I want to be kind. I want to believe that those who think these ways, think this type of uh, framework, uh, that they really do have a desire to to know God. Uh, They want to understand God. They want to understand the Holy Spirit. But none of what I mentioned is biblical. Uh, None of the 
aforementioned exercises produce anything more than feelings that fade. It's emotional. It's all conjuring up emotions and responses to an environment, and it is contrary to what the Scripture teaches. Now, why do I bring this up? Because this is vitally important. I believe that too many Christians are cutting themselves short of the benefits of the Holy Spirit that are available now by subscribing to unbiblical ideas of how the Holy Spirit is at work today. You're cutting yourself short when you think that that is where the Spirit resides, that we have to muster up some type of environment, that we have to do something with in ourselves to, to conjure up the presence of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, there are two major problems with this ideology. One, having to formulate some spiritual mantra or create a unique mystical environment to activate the Holy Spirit inside us is a form of works-based theology. If we have to do it, then guess what? That is something that turns the Spirit's work into our work. And that, friends, is unbiblical. Second, it creates a theological category that says we control God. That, that we, our creativity, our actions, our, our pursuit of him is controlling in nature. And brothers and sisters, Psalm 115.3 is a strong contradiction to that belief. The psalmist writes, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does what he wants when he wants on his terms not ours. Today's text teaches that Christians do not have to figure out a special formula to invoke the Holy Spirit. Instead, for Christians, for believers, for those who have placed their faith in Christ, in Christ alone, the Holy Spirit is always with you. Always. No matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, no matter how isolated you may feel, if you are a Christian, you, friend, are never alone. So the title of today's message is The Promised Presence of Jesus Christ, Part 1. Lord willing, we will look at Part 2 next week. And I just have two headings for us. Uh, to kind of break this, these verses down for us to kind of categorize them. Uh, one, we will look at a promise based on relationship. This is a promise that is based on a relationship. And then second, second kind of category here is we will see six characteristics of the Holy Spirit that are given to us here in these uh, verses. Six characteristics of the Holy Spirit that we will see here. Let's first look at here the promise based on a relationship. Look at verse 15 with me. Jesus writing, or speaking here, John writing Jesus' words, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Now, we have to stop right there because something special is going on here. Remember, uh, for those that may have uh, not been with us, we are in the upper room. Uh, uh, Jesus has sent out the betrayer. Remember, he's, he's sent Judas out. Uh, he has said that Peter will deny him. And, and now he is talking to the remaining 11 disciples, those who have been chosen by him to, to then carry out his work. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is right after Jesus has just told them that they will do greater works, which we looked at last week. And now he is saying that the only way they will do those that love him, the only way that they will do these things, that, that those that love him will accomplish what has been told to them is by his work in them. See, this is written in future tense. Look at what he says. You will keep my commandments. And listen, friends, this is a promise for those who love him. And the preceding verses are the means to which the commandment keeping will be accomplished. In other words, Jesus is saying here that he will give his people what they need to accomplish what he requires. So, What's required of them? Obedience. That's what he is calling them to do. Obey my commandments. But what he is showing here is that those whom love him, those whom are his, whom he has chosen, will be given all they need to accomplish this. Now listen, this is important. Okay, you got to get this right. Because this text teaches that obedience to Christ is the fruit of love for Christ. It's not the other way around. Obedience is the fruit. Okay? Love for Christ produces obedience. Does everybody understand that? Love for Christ produces obedience. If you want to know if someone loves Jesus, look at their obedience to Jesus. Um, I recently heard a story of a young lady in our church that was together with some uh, friends, and uh, she was put in a situation with a, a friend group, and they weren't doing anything uh, sinful or inherently uh, de uh, just deplorable. Uh, they were just doing something that went against her conscience and what she believed the Bible taught her. And so because of her conviction, her love for Christ, she decided to refrain from the activity. Uh, she got some pushback from that. Uh, she received some hostility from that. But nevertheless, she didn't even fully understand. She just said, you know what? I don't think that what you're doing is in accordance to God's word. So I'm just going to refrain. I'm going to stay away from said activity because I just don't believe that that is obedience to my Savior. Friends, let me tell you, that is obedience to Christ. Uh, that is the obedience that we're looking for. Listen, we, we should never be the type of people that toe the line, that say, you know what, I'm just going to get as close as I can to whatever said activity and, and see if things go okay. 
You know what? If it actually is starting to, to, to move my conscience, if I'm convicted in some type of way for whatever, then the best thing to do is to refrain from this and to show my solidity to Christ, my love for Christ, my obedience to Christ. See, that type of obedience comes from a heart that says, I love Jesus. I love my Savior. So I will refrain from whatever comes my way that may hinder my pursuit, my, my vision, my picture, my love for him. See, it isn't the other way around. We don't follow a list of rules in hopes that our rule-keeping will produce love and adoration for Jesus. That is a, a works-based religion. Furthermore, our works gain us absolutely no favor with God apart from love for Christ. Your obedience must be motivated by your love for Jesus. If you try to work your way to loving Jesus, you will be no better than the Pharisees who offered works to God. But what, what did Jesus say? Your hearts are far, far from me. Matthew 7, 22, uh, Matthew writes, Then on that day many will say to me, Jesus speaking here, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? I mean, look at the language here. It's like, look at everything we did. Look at all the things I did for you, Jesus. Look at all of my great works. And what will Jesus say? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, obedience to Jesus without love for Jesus is like, it's like trying to cut down an oak tree with a butter knife. Like it's pointless and it's impossible. It will not accomplish anything. So if you're banking on your works, if you're banking on your good deeds, if you're banking on what you can do to generate a relationship with God, then let this verse be an alarm that says, wake up. Your works without love are pointless. Your works can never save you. You need Jesus Christ. And I know some of you, I talk to many of you and uh, after sermons, and I like to get feedback, and many of you would say, well, well, how do I love Jesus more? Like, what do I do to love Jesus more? Like, put some, some legs on this. I need some application. Show me which way to go. And it's two simple things, prayer and studying the Word. See, learning more about Jesus, talking to Jesus, it's all relational. Um, I've been with my wife for about 10 years. Uh, we've been married for eight. We just celebrated our anniversary. And the more I get to know my wife, the more I love my wife. She's pretty awesome. Uh, hopefully she says the same uh, for me. But the more that I know her, there's a deeper love for her. 
There's a deeper understanding of who she is. There's a deeper, uh, I gain a deeper knowledge of, of not just the beauty, the, the physical benefits that my wife uh, entails, but all that she is. And that's the same thing with us as Christians. The more that we learn about God, the more that we understand who God is, the more that we see the beauty of our Savior, the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of the unfathomable love that he has for his people despite our sinfulness, the more we love him, the more we realize that we are pretty unlovable, but yet he loves us. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. Now the Holy Spirit is within us. Friends, that is the goal. That is the hope that we would know more of Christ, we would see more of his beauty given to us in the pages of Scripture. We would come to love him more. So listen. The point that I want to just make sure that we do not pass over is that relationship is what then creates here this promised presence. You will not have this. Those who are not his, those that are not believers, are not Christians, have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone, cannot cling to these promises, but those that have, these promises are secured. These promises are secured. So what happens to those that love Jesus? Those who have a relationship with him that is based on love and shown by obedience. We'll look at verses 16 and 17. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus states here that he will ask the Father to do something that will benefit his followers in extraordinarily profound ways. Uh, he will ask the Father to give them another helper. Now, there's a grammatical point in this verse that we need to point out um, because it really shapes everything that follows. It's found in the phrase, another helper. Uh, we know the word another uh, in English even can be used to describe another of a different kind. Um, you might say like the car you drive uh, maybe you see a similar car, the same make or model, and you say, uh, but it's a different color. There's some, some differences. And you say, oh, that's an, another whatever type of car. But there's also another way that it can be used to describe another that is of the same kind. So, for example, using the car illustration, uh, if you see a car that's the exact same color, make, model, year, it's got the same wheels, all the same accessories, whatever uh, you do to your vehicle, and you're like, oh, man, that is literally another one of my cars, right? That is, that is my car there. It is another uh, exact uh, replica, a, a duplicate here. That is the same in the Greek. And here the word another is translated from the word meaning 
another of the exact same kind. So the point here is that Jesus isn't sending in a substitute. He's not putting the sixth man in. The, the Holy Spirit's not a bench player. It's like, all right, I'm tagging you in now. Like, uh, you go and kind of, you know, take over here. No. Jesus is comforting these disciples by telling them that he is going to give them another just like himself. Uh, the word helper is translated from a word that means advocate or counselor. In biblical times, an advocate would provide support, uh, would provide encouragement, uh, and they would often, in a, a court of law, they would speak on the behalf of an individual that may be in court facing some type of uh, penalty for something. So the helper, the advocate, the counselor would come. They would encourage that person that was being charged. Uh, but then they would also be a character witness for them and say, I've known so-and-so for a long time. Uh, let me tell you about them. Let me tell you about their character. And, and that's what Jesus is, is talking about here. Like the Spirit will be our advocate, will be our counselor, will encourage, will, will help. Um, it kind of gives us here this general world word, helper. So you can just kind of put anything under that category. Like, oh, that, yup, help you there. Oh, that, yup, help me there. Whatever it is, the Spirit is there to help. So just as Jesus has been their helper while he was with them during his earthly ministry, he says, I'm going to send someone just like myself to continue providing the care you have come to know when your relationship with me. So this is nothing that is just kind of secondary. This is an important understanding that we, we must grab a hold to. And in this section, we see six characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Six characteristics. One, we see that the Holy Spirit is a gift to Christians. The Holy Spirit is a gift to Christians. Look at verse 16. Jesus asks the Father, and the Father will what? Will give you. Will give you. Will, will give you a gift. So listen, you cannot earn the Holy Spirit. There's nothing you can do to, to earn the Spirit's presence in your life. You can do nothing outside of repenting of your sins and placing your faith, believing in Jesus Christ, that he is the only substitute, the Savior of this world, the Savior of all who place their faith in him, the only hope that we have. That is the only thing you can do to secure the Spirit in your life. The Spirit is a gift. John 3, 8 reminded us of this when we looked at this uh, months ago. And Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Essentially saying, like, can you control the wind? Absolutely not. You cannot make the wind do something from its main source. And in the same way, so it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. So listen, if you are a Christian, 
you can rejoice that you have been given the gifts of the Spirit. And that should be a reason to praise God eternally. You have been given the Spirit of God in you. Second characteristic of the Holy Spirit. He is always eternally present with Christians. So he's always with you. Look at the second portion of verse 16. What does he say? I'm going to send the Spirit to be with you, what? Forever. Forever. That's good news, friends. The the Spirit is with you when you are saved forever. You don't have to activate. You don't have to invoke the Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come and go to Christians. This is an eternal promise to all believers. How do I know this? Uh, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.30. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, okay, the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed like you were given the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. What day is that? When Christ returns. When he comes to to redeem all things, to make all things new, to to bring uh, the heaven to earth. We are sealed with the Spirit forever, eternally secure. So listen, yeah, we can can grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Um, By disobeying God, by by neglecting time with God, Uh, by continuing to walk in habitual sin. We, We grieve the Spirit. The Spirit is always with us. That is a promise to those that are true believers in Jesus Christ. Next, we see that the Spirit is the one who brings truth. Look at verse 17 there. It says, even the Spirit of truth. I mean, this is pretty simple stuff here. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And what does this mean for us? Well, the Holy Spirit helps us to rightly divide, discern, and understand truth. Uh, We rightly understand God's word. We're able to then see God's word and see truth in ways, uh, just as the example I gave earlier, the young lady that said, you know what, I don't think this is right. Well, guess what? That is proof of the Holy Spirit working in her life. Uh, when you yourself are in a situation and you, you, you feel like, you know what, like I, just something is not right here. We don't need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We don't need the Holy Spirit to, to give us everything in alignment. We need to say, you know what, that's the Holy Spirit working in me. The Holy Spirit is, yes, absolutely working in our lives, present in our lives, helping us to discern truth, the spirit of truth. We also can take from this, we can insert here that the authority behind the Bible as the spirit 
guided the biblical writers on what to write down. So the biblical writers, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was their personalities. It was uh, their experiences. But the Holy Spirit told them what to write. And so here we have, and we have another uh, commendation in Scripture that would say we can trust the Word of God because the Word of God is given to us by the Spirit of what? The Spirit of truth. Look down to verse 26. I want to address this verse today as it falls into this category of this characteristic of the Holy Spirit, that he brings truth. Verse 26, right? But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Uh, D.A. Carson is very helpful here. I quote, John's purpose in including this theme and this verse is not to explain how readers at the end of the first century may be taught by the Spirit, but to explain to readers at the end of the first century how the first witnesses, the first disciples, came to an accurate and full understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ. So if you wonder, like, now, can we really believe this? Like, how in the world did, did these guys really get things right? Well, this verse explains that for us. It, it helps us to see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, guided and direct, brought to remembrance, and kind of connected all the dots of everything that they had been taught in Jesus' earthly ministry that they didn't understand. I mean, we've talked about that many times, that there were so many times where the disciples just didn't get what Jesus was putting down. They didn't pick it up. I mean, that's often the way for us, right? We, we still, we, we forget things or we need to be reminded of things. It takes time, and that's how the Holy Spirit works in and through you. I love having conversations with, uh, with some of you that when you, you explain to me how uh, maybe a truth that you didn't understand before has now been illuminated to you. And, and what do we credit that in? The work of the Spirit in your life. That's sanctification, brothers and sisters. That is the beauty of the Christian life. Jesus saves us, but he doesn't leave us in the way that we were saved. Now, let me tell you, all of us are on a different path of sanctification. Okay? Never compare your sanctification with the sanctification of another. That will bring you misery. Now, we should be encouraged by one another. We should be accountable to one another. We should have brothers and sisters around us that say, hey, you know what? I really believe that God's word teaches that you should live differently than you are living. That's a good thing. But your journey to sanctification is going to be different than everyone else. Sanctification is usually not a, a climb up the peak. It's usually like a heart monitor, right? And it's, we struggle, we fall, we fail. But the Holy Spirit is still at work, friends. Holy Spirit is working in and through you. Keep pressing on. Pursue. Seek the spirit of truth. Later, Lord willing, we'll get to it. John 16, 13, another reminder of this. John writes, Jesus' words here, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So listen, friends, Christians, the Holy Spirit helps you understand the teachings of Scripture. So get busy. Search the Scriptures. Pray the Scriptures. Learn the Scriptures. Ask the Spirit to work in and through your time in God's Word. Next, we see that the Holy Spirit is uniquely given to Christians. He's uniquely given to Christians. Look at the second portion of verse 17. The world cannot receive, neither sees nor knows. Now listen, there's a, there's a stark difference from unbelievers, okay? Uh, we use this word here, the, the world, those caught up in the sway of the devil, those that are caught up in the, the way that the, the world, the prince of the power of the air, that, that works in the world around us. There's a difference there than there are within the Christian, or at least it should be. We should be noticeably different. We should be uh, contrary to the world's ideologies if they contradict God's word. And the Holy Spirit helps us to do that. You turn back to John 1, verses 9 through 13. I want us to just read this as a, as a reminder uh, that this is not something new. John writes here in his prologue here, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, speaking of Jesus, was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, speaking of Israel, the Jews here, and his own people, they didn't even receive him. But to all who did receive him, Christians, who believed in his name, Christians, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, God has caused all of us who are believers to be born again. We didn't come up with this on our own. This is a unique gift to Christians, those whom God has set his love upon, not because of our works, but because of Christ's work, because of his work on our behalf. So there's a uniqueness here to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians. Next we see that he is in Christians. Holy Spirit is inside of all Christians. 17, he dwells with and in you. So the Holy Spirit is, is in us. He's, he's working within us. He's been uniquely given to us. It is a gift. He's eternally with us, and he is always in us. Now listen, this does not mean there was no work of the Holy Spirit 
uh, before, uh, within believers before the day of Pentecost. Uh, the Spirit was still at work. The Spirit is uh, a member of the, the, the Godhead, the Trinity, eternal, everlasting. But what this does mean is that after Pentecost, after Jesus gives the Spirit in this special, unique way, there will be a greater work of the Spirit that now the Spirit will reside within believers, making them able to accomplish all that God has called them to do. Okay, and listen, this is for you and I. Uh, This is a promise to all believers. The Holy Spirit is in you. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, he is there. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 1.13, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so when you heard the gospel preached, when you heard the truth of God's word proclaimed, what happens here? Then you believed in him. So, so he, he's making a, a separation here. There's those that have believed in Jesus, Christians that have placed their faith in him because they responded to the message of the gospel. And then he goes on, he says, you were. So Christians, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Uh, the language uh, here used, uh, many commentators and scholars would say, uh, was very similar to a king that would seal those that belonged to him. Uh, maybe cattle is kind of a modern day uh, a branding you may think of as a seal that this is mine, my property. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit seals believers and says, mine, this, these are my people. This is my son, my daughter, adopted into the family of God. So the Holy Spirit is in you. Next, we see that the Holy Spirit is a person, not some spiritual force, not some entity. The Holy Spirit is a person. Notice the language. It's all over these two verses. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit is a person, not an experience, not an emotional response to something. Holy Spirit is a person. I think a lot of people get caught up in uh, eruption of emotions. And they want to equate that to the spirit working and doing something within them. And friend, let me just encourage you that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a person. And and does the person move within us? Absolutely. A person speak to us, guide us? Absolutely. But listen, do 
Do not fall into a category that says that I'm only with the Spirit when I'm feeling some type of way. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, an active participant in the eternal Godhead. And he is currently present with all Christians working to bring clarity and illuminate the truth of Jesus given to us in God's word. And listen, that's from from young to old alike. No matter who you are, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you are doing, Teenagers, if you're a believer, if you've truly placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone, the Spirit is with you. No matter what, in your school, when you're faced with uncertainty, couples that are dealing with hardships and heartaches, The Spirit is with you. Those that are single, that wish to be married, but they they feel as if, like, the Lord is just not answering my prayers. The Spirit is with you. God is with you. Those that are going through trials, tribulations, heartaches, persecution, whatever the case may be. The Spirit is with you. God knows you. He chose you. He is with you. Remember, I started this message by reminding us all that Christians do not have to figure out a special formula to invoke the Holy Spirit. Instead, for Christians, the Holy Spirit is always with you. No matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, no matter how isolated you might feel, if you are a Christian, you are never alone. This was Jesus' promise to his disciples. In the midst of turmoil here, the midst of confusion, heartache, despair, he promises them that he will be with them no matter what the future brings. And let me just remind us all, These men went on to die, all except for John, who was exiled to isolation. But all of these other men were martyred for their faith, martyred for their commitment to the Lord. And Jesus says, I am with you always. I'm going to send someone. He says, I'm going to send someone just like myself, but better, because the Holy Spirit will, be not, will not be limited to my, my physical body. See, we'll get to this later, but the Holy, that the Holy Spirit is now with us, and not just Jesus here personally, which would be amazing, but it's actually to our benefit that Jesus sends the Spirit. See, he's not limited now to one physical body. Instead, He's given to every single believer. If Jesus was here, we'd be fighting over who he went to lunch with. Guess what? Wherever you go, as soon as you leave here, Jesus is with you. Spirit is there. That we be knowledgeable 
about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we be biblical in our language about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And may we give praise that the Holy Spirit is active in us. Because listen, friends, without the Holy Spirit, we are helpless. We're absolutely helpless. J.I. Packer once wrote, quote, the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So brothers and sisters, let us rest in the fact that we are not alone. And may we ask the Spirit to work. May we be more aware of the Spirit's work in our lives. And may we give praise to God Almighty for this beautiful promise that we see in this passage, given to the disciples and given to us today. In a moment here, we're going to sing. But before we do, as Seth makes his way uh, to the stage, I just want to give you a a moment to, to respond, to pray. Uh, Maybe you are here and uh, you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe the the Spirit is not at work in you. And I want to give you that opportunity to respond, uh, to talk to the Lord, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ today. Do not wait. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised this afternoon. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, If you are a Christian and maybe you've, you've had some misconceptions or misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to ask God to just continue to open your eyes and illuminate your eyes to what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we give you praise and glory for who you are and who you've called us to be. Uh, we thank you so much for your kindness, for your mercy. Uh, we thank you that salvation is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. You are mighty and faithful and willing to save. So I, I pray that any friend here that does not know you would, would come to know you today as their Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we, we confess that oftentimes we, we do grieve the Spirit. We, we choose lesser things, but we praise your name that your Spirit does not come and go that we can rest upon the truths of your word. God, I pray that any that are going through trials, tribulations here in this body, God, would you be with them? May they see comforting presence of their helper in all situations. Lord, would you use the rest of our time to bring glory and honor to your great name, and I pray these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.